Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Nelson, and welcome to Psychop Talks Winter Ops, the podcast devoted to all things winter maintenance, and I do mean all things. On this episode, we're going to visit with Dr. Bill Hook, the Associate Executive Director at the American Meteorological Society. Last year, I had the privilege and honor to serve on a National Academy of Sciences panel co-chaired by Dr. Hook. The panel was tasked with authoring a report that ultimately ended up with the title, Integrating Social and Behavioral Sciences Within the Weather Enterprise. A link to this report is located in the show notes on our website. During my time on the panel, I quickly realized that he had some very insightful takes on transportation and the social sciences, and in particular, winter maintenance, and he's kindly agreed to share some of those insights with us. But before we start our visit with Dr. Hook, I want to take a minute to thank all the states out there whose voluntary contributions each and every year support the AASHTO Winter Maintenance Technical Service Program that we call PSYCOP. If it weren't for them, we couldn't do the things we do to help states fulfill their winter maintenance mission like this podcast. Now let's talk winter ops. Hi, Bill. Thanks for joining us on PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops. I'm really happy to be here, Rick. Thank you for coming over. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's been a while since we've been together, and it's been great catching up. Um, you know, and uh, thinking about things, and, and of course, you're with the American Meteorological Society, and you've got this long track record of, of dealing with weather and NOAA and the National Weather Service and, and so on, and of course... You know, that's a that's a big piece of transportation, you know, is this whole road weather element. And um, I think the relationship that's developed between, for example, AMS and, and the road weather community, the transportation community that, that has really sort of grown out of Paul Pisano's energy has been just a great thing. Well, we owe a lot to Paul. I think Paul has been uh, the whole father of this uh, enterprise for so long, and we're all in his debt. So uh, I'm glad we started off by remembering him and his role in getting all this kick-started. Yeah, and, you know, we've had him on Psychop Talks Winter Ops, and, and I've got plans to uh, get together with him again here in the next few months. So uh, for, for our listeners, uh, stay tuned, and we'll get another dose of Paul Pisano and Road Weather. Well, what I remember uh, about Paul that was very eye-opening from the beginning, if you've been in weather for a long time like I have, you've made a big deal out of maybe a 1,000 people being hurt in tornadoes on the average every year or something, or so many heat deaths, uh, several hundred heat deaths a year. But then to hear about the number of traffic fatalities uh, every year that amount to something like six or seven thousand a year that have weather as a, as the contributing factor or the direct cause and hundreds of thousands of injuries, hundreds of thousands right. of injuries. And we're not talking about trivial injuries. We're talking about back problems and neck problems and things that really, uh, uh, crucially diminish a person's, uh, quality of life. So there's nothing more important than dealing with weather as a hazard in the transportation context. That's, that's right. You know, on, on PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops, we spend a lot of time uh, talking about technologies, the technologies right. of winter maintenance and salt and, and how things work. But there's a, there's a whole other um, topic out there that, that us engineers are, are very – uh, reluctant to talk about or even admit exists, and, and that's the social and behavioral sciences. And 
you you co-chaired a National Academy of Science report with uh, Ann Bostrom of yes. the University of Washington. Very special person. Very, yeah, yeah. she was a delight to she work was with. Fantastic. Um, it, it, it was called, um, let's see, integrating uh, social and behavioral sciences within the weather enterprise. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So. Um, uh, again, going back to this idea of weather warnings and utility, uh, when I worked at NOAA, when I uh, here in my work in uh, the AMS, uh, we talk a lot about advancing science and then uh, applying that science to the benefit of humankind. And we, uh, uh, for a hundred years, the last hundred years that the AMS existed has existed, or most of uh, the NOAA lifetime, even. The limiting factor in benefiting society has been the inaccuracy of the forecasts and the uncertainty of the forecasts. But they've gotten better and better. So, for example, last year we could tell Houston days in advance they were going to get 40 inches of rain. And then it turns out that we still have people who are encountering traffic problems or they're encountering other uh, uh, difficulties in coping with the weather. And we've begun to realize that it's no longer the quality of that physical forecast, what the atmosphere is going to do. It's everything about the impact of that on everyday activities, whether it's transportation or uh, growing food or providing water resources or uh, just, just the everyday activities of shopping and getting the kids to school and so on. And so we've had to pay much more attention to uh, – the fact that our, forca- our forecasts all aren't always couched in terms that lay people who are preoccupied with day-to-day concerns can follow. They, they don't translate it into what it means to, to them and what they're trying to do on the road. Right. And, and you know, the transportation has become such a integral part of everyday life, right. e- either from a personal point of view, you know, getting to here or there, or getting kids to here or there, but... But the economy, you know, was all driven uh, around transportation and freight right. and those kinds of things. And now we're all texting in the middle of that. And we're uh, right. texting to the kids we're picking up or to the parents who were uh, who are expecting us at their house or, or something instead of focusing on the road. And that's bad enough when it's sunny outside and the road is dry and right. uh, uh, well marked and so on. It's problematic as soon as the weather starts to deteriorate. You know, and, and it seems that people just take the transportation network for granted. It's like I, I can go anywhere, anytime during any weather conditions. Right. And, and I think that just sort of compounds that, that issue. Right. That's partly uh, due to the, the success of all these state DOTs. Uh, the state DOT pays a lot of attention to the weather and is out there treating the roads and doing the best they can to uh, protect people. There's a lot of electronic signage now that talks about weather hazards and traffic conditions ahead and so on that we didn't have before. And, and so, yes, that part, uh, again, the people, the technical people who have to deal with this professionally, they're right on top of this. It's uh, you and me when we're in a car and just driving and, and the family concerns are paramount. That's the issue. Right. And, yeah. and you know, for the, for the winter maintenance folks that are out on the road, you know, there's this, there's sort of two tracks that are going on, right? There's the, the, um, 
the uh, agency that's that's doing the work to clear the road and that yeah. sort of thing. And then there's the the folks that are driving on the road at the same time. So it's it's it, it's the analogy is sort of like changing your television from black and white to color while you're still watching it, right? Right. Because the things that that the motorists do impact the way that the agencies can respond. You know, when we were when we were doing the report. We had uh, a series of workshops, and we had experts come in and, and uh, talk to us and, and impart their wisdom uh, to the team. Um, one of those folks, who shall remain nameless, but we both know who he is, said, uh, back to the science thing, we've got really good science, we provide really, really good information, but people still make dumb decisions. Yeah. You know, why is that? I mean, why, why can't everybody just act like we do? Well, uh I think the what's a dumb decision and a smart decision depends on where you sit. And so a better model is everybody's making smart decisions. What's going on inside their brain in terms of the competing demands on their attention and so on that makes what they just did smart given their context, uh, despite the fact that weather was trying to intrude on that. So if... Uh, your wife is pregnant and you're getting her to the hospital, that takes priority. You're right. going to do that uh, no matter what. If you're 15 minutes late picking up that uh, seven-year-old from grade school, that is the only thing on your mind. You are desperate to get there to the, the school and so on. And it crowds out in this kind of thinking fast and slow uh, mm-hmm. terminology, the reflexive thing to... Uh, uh, do crowds out uh, the situational, the longer term uh, situational kind of problems that are developing. Right. Of course, on the other on the other side of that spectrum, it's uh, you get the word that uh, government is closing, all businesses are closing, the weather is bad, stay home, right. and you say, "Oh, geez, I've got free time. Uh, let's go yeah. to the mall and yeah. uh, watch a movie, or let's go." Uh, hit the slopes or, or whatever. So Well, and the improvement in the warnings can be perverse. We had a case here in D.C. a number of years ago where uh, uh, a tornado was in the D.C. area, not a very common occurrence around here. Somebody had been painting his house uh, and the interior of his house, and had left the windows open for the paint to dry, and he got enough warning about this tornado. He thought, I can drive over there to the house and close all the windows so that my walls don't get wet and he arrived in time to be killed by that tornado so uh you you know that's we're struggling to adjust to the implications of these improve the forecasts have been improving and we're we're just not experienced with using forecasts of the quality that we now Mm -hmm. have you know and one of the things that that sort of strikes me is the the national weather service has sort of changed their philosophy about about oh, watches yeah. and warnings, and they're they're going to more like impact based things. Indeed. You know, we we sort of struggle with that on the DOT side. You know, we say, hey, the road is is track bare or snow covered, but um, we we don't do such a good job of, of talking about impacts so people can. Um, Apply those risk models. You know, yeah. so, some people are risk adverse, and some people are risk takers, and and um, you know, I, I think we we have to be as disciplined in our approach to 
uh, that kind of variability as we are to the impact of the salt or the sand or whatever we're putting on the road surfaces themselves. We're very quantitative when it comes to this degree of temperature, this degree of precipitation and so on calls for this or that kind of measure. But in terms of the social science part of it, uh, we've got very uh, little real information to go on. We, we have a lot of stories, we have anecdotes, but we don't have solid uh, uh, science basis. And the social scientists that you and I worked with in this report, uh, they're the people who can get us from here to there. Right. And, and uh, you know, what we need to do is we need to engage them. Right. Uh, I, I don't, you know, it's like, you know, the difference between an extroverted and an introverted engineer is the uh, extroverted one looks at your shoes instead of his own. <laughs> um, I, I think we could all do a lot of uh, good things if we would bring them to the dance, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, if we were more extroverted. And part of the problem in that traffic environment, uh, people are not trained, perhaps as we'd like. You may remember Ellen Bass from our committee who brought a lot of anecdotes to the table about pilots. Mm-hmm. And pilots work in a much more controlled uh, situation. Uh, there's much better training. Uh, they're used to working in a very tightly constrained framework of instructions from air traffic controllers and so on. We don't have any parallel uh, in public uh, highway transportation. Uh, and so uh, we have uh, people who, uh, well, I think the thing, ask yourself if you're listening to this, um, when were you ever terrified of the weather? And chances are good it wasn't when you were at home. You know, even if the weather was pretty serious, uh, you know, the, maybe you had an option of going to the basement or not, but you didn't feel threatened. But you're in a car. You're driving along an expressway at 60 miles an hour. Suddenly, the visibility goes to zero. Uh, the noise is deafening. Uh, if it's rain or hail, you can't uh, uh, get any audible cues. You're in trouble if you keep moving, and you're in trouble if you stop. And you've got people you care about in the back seat and strangers, you, you know, uh, whose skills you know nothing about. And you're just sunk. And, and it all happened. Uh, it could happen in 10 seconds or so. You drive right. into a rain shaft. And, and we don't train people to deal with that. So it's not surprising when they find themselves in that situation, bad things uh, happen. Right. And, and you know, the other thing that, that, we, that we sort of talked about in this vein is, you know, the automobiles are becoming much more forgiving. Right. With as as driver yeah. skills are diminishing, the technology in the autos is becoming more pervasive. Anti lock brakes, yeah. collision avoidance, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and and you know that could actually be hurting our driving. It skills. could be because you uh, again you can be inattentive for long periods of time, and then suddenly you're asked to snap out of whatever reverie you're in or whatever. Uh, uh, line of thought you'd been in and, and start focusing. We're, we do that poorly. Uh, pilots talk about hours of tedium followed, uh, punctuated by moments of terror. Yeah. But they're disciplined in that they're always, uh, uh, ready with a few exceptions. And we read about those in the NTSB reports. Uh, uh, but right. they're generally, uh, ready to snap to, uh, be focused on the job. We don't, uh, our public driving public. You and I aren't really per- built that way. No, that's no. that's right. No. The um, 
I think one of the interesting things that that came out during the study, particularly talking with with the economists and and so on, is um, you know if you're if you're like a middle manager and the weather's really bad, you have options. Um, you 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 can decide to tell tell a commute or. Uh, maybe you just take the day oh, off, right? This is so important. Keep going. Yeah, you're going in just the right direction. But but yeah. but the but there's other folks out there that you know if if they don't punch the clock, they don't get paid. They don't get paid, and, yeah. and or they so, even lose their job, or they yeah. could lose their job. So right. you know this this idea that hey, the weather's bad, stay home. You know, folks might be might be boxed into a corner where they that decision's not. Right. They, the they think they can them. muddle through. And so when they come to the sign that the road is out and so on, they still think, uh, okay, I looked at this yesterday. I don't think the water's that high. They still think, and I have to get to work. Yeah. And uh, they drive around that barrier or, or do something. And again, uh, in retrospect, that looks dumb. But for every person for whom it looks dumb, there were 10 people who muddled through, made it to work, and yeah. uh, that kind of calculus drives up the uh, hazard. And and so I, I guess the message there is, is you know, as we're thinking about this sort of traveler information that, that we're providing to folks, you know, going back to this risk-based, impact-based kind of of message, I think it's, it's so important and we really haven't spent enough time thinking about you know, how to deliver that message. Right. So instead of saying there's a rain uh, shower ahead, we have to, that that voice that you hear has to be saying things like, you have to pull over the car at the next exit or right. you, you and wait five minutes or something to uh, go and, on. And, you know, with all the connected vehicle technologies, you know, maybe that's not that far off. But in the meantime, right. you know, we've, we've got to, to take a look at that, um, I, I think the um, you know this whole risk profile thing. You know, when you talk about this this moment of terror in the car, we we experience a phenomenon on the highway business where the first uh, snow out of the box, the first storm out of the box, uh, puts everybody in the ditch, and then everybody. It's like we have to reeducate them at the beginning of the year. Uh, yeah. You know, I remember, uh, and sometimes it isn't just the first snow. Uh, uh, a number of years ago, my wife was flying in from uh, Nebraska when we were living in Colorado, and there were bad snow conditions. I, this was before cell phones or anything like that, and so I drove to the airport knowing there was no way she was going to get in. Uh, in the route between <laughs> Boulder and Denver, there must have been a 100 cars off in, in, off in the ditches and so on around the road because in Colorado, we all had four-wheel drive vehicles. And it was like, I can still go 60 mile an hour <laughs> on this road, but there was no visibility. And so, yeah. you know, parked cars would come out of the gloom and you had no choice yeah. but to go off. And, uh, and uh, 12 hours later, and uh, I passed all those car wrecks uh, again going in to pick her up. <laughs> I know. We, we often we often said we need to keep two or three wrecks handy. Yeah. And when the first storm comes out, in addition to anti-icing and getting ready, we need to haul them out and put and them put in the media just as a warning sign. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, but you're you're right. That adjustment, the seasonal adjustment, and it shows up in many ways, whether it's uh, glare from the sun on the commute in your face or, or something like that. There's always a first time before. Uh, and if you survive that, then you're good for the next few yeah. weeks or whatever. Yeah, but, until winter's yeah. over, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's a very dangerous time. The, um, you know, one of the things, I guess, that... Uh, strikes me is this idea of harmonization you know when you mm-hmm. talked about it with the with the four-wheel drives a little bit um, yeah. you know it, it seems like when you're when you're going down the road there's always somebody slower than you getting in your way right and there's always somebody wants to get around you faster yeah. um, you know I, I think there's probably a whole social context associated with that um, right. And, and to be honest with you, I don't know how you how you get around that um, outside of, you know, some states are, are using variable speed limits, for example, to try to to uh, harmonize that a little better. And, um, you know, it sort of boils down to this regulatory element. And, and we've always been sort of hesitant to, um, you know, be parochial as far as, you know, closing the road and you know the i we always want to keep it open right and uh trying to to tell people what to do you know may or may or may not work uh i couldn't agree more and uh we we respond very poorly to uh instructions uh, very often and, and we've got to and the social scientists can help us make a transition from uh uh, top-down command and control kinds of uh, uh, instructions and so on that don't work well when people can look out their windshield and see weather conditions slightly different from something that right. may be an average over a region uh, to things that are more nuanced and uh, uh, encourage drivers to shoulder responsibility and awareness for their actions uh, uh, in a variety of ways. I think that's sort of like the difference, again, between pilots and and uh, motorists, right? right? That, that's that different yeah, yeah. thing they work in. Um, what are your thoughts about social media? I mean, the weather, um, you know, when you're talking about uh, National Weather Service and the weather out there, there's like nothing people want to talk about more on social media, it seems like, other than politics, is, is the yeah. weather. Well, again, in a disciplined environment, Social media might work well. So, for example, the pilots have something called PIREPS, uh, and they're usually following each other in lanes across the country, say from New York to Los Angeles. And if the pilot ahead of you is experiencing turbulence, you have some heads up that uh, you'll be experiencing it in a few minutes or something, whatever the difference is. Uh, you could imagine in ideal circumstances having that kind of chatter uh, available in, in a car, but we all know that, again, without discipline chatter, without cons- standards about what constitutes icing, what constitutes, you know, how you characterize visibility and so mm-hmm. on, you'll have chaos. It'll, it'll be worse than uh, nothing. And, and so uh, I think social media is part of our, our part of our lives now. You can't legislate against it. But uh, it's going to take society a while to uh, understand what it's good for and what dangers it represents and how to harness it versus being uh, jeopardized by it. 
you know, maybe I was, that's not what you were looking well, for. Well, yeah, uh, okay. yeah, really, it's. I, I mean, like you say, social media is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some statistics in the report, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but we we spent some time talking about that. Where where do people go to get their information? information yeah. Right, and and it seems like the first thing people want to do is just head straight to uh, Twitter or right. Facebook or yeah. you know Uncle Bill, who uh, you know <laughs> may or may not have you know, any decent information as opposed to going to like this trusted source, right. the National Weather Service yeah. or, you know, the DOT for road conditions. Um, no, I think that'll be a problem. Maybe, you know, again, we're possibly pushing the aviation analogy too hard, but uh, most commercial aircrafts have a co-pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I have one too. Yeah, and my we, wife we tells a, me when I'm co-pilot. not driving very well. That's right. <laughs> Uh, but the thing is that the, with the two of you, that's helpful if one of you is trying to keep track of what's coming up in the way of road conditions. Maybe that's a little bit of a help. But husbands and wives have to work on that. You have to have a good enough ring. Yeah. You're, you're grinning, and our radio audience can't see that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, we that's going to take a little work, too, to yeah. get that uh, tuned right. I remember yeah. a story you told about your wife uh, saying that you had to start taking the metro instead of yeah, driving. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Uh, that's right. Uh, full disclosure to the radio audience, I'm prone to road rage. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> very little of which had to do with weather. But uh, anyway, she saved my life by getting me out of the car. And Buying you a Metro, metro Pass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, we've, we've really sort of tapped all the nails, if you will, you know, about, about social and behavioral sciences. I, I think really coming out of this report, it, it really didn't list specific projects. Right. That we wanted to work on, right. but um, I, I think it made a very compelling case for including social and behavioral sciences along with the harder, you know, the hard sciences of atmospheric weather and road. That's weather. right. So again, to realize the societal benefit uh, of all these advances in science and technology, uh, you have to make a change in individual lives, and that's all about how. Uh, the the technology meshes with the way people act and think and, and the larger context in, in which they live and, and work. And so I think that's right. If I could, I'd like to bring up one other longer-range issue. I'm not sure we covered it well in the report, but it has to do with autonomous vehicles and their implications for weather vulnerability uh, generally and so on. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about autonomous vehicles and their performance in poor road conditions where Mm -hmm. it was hard to spot the lane markers uh, and visibility and so on were an issue. That's a serious problem for the world that's coming. And uh, that's another dimension to this. Uh, Again, we might be asking the drivers to take command of the autonomous vehicle in occasions like this. And again, it's questionable whether if you've been driving along for several hours up to this point and suddenly you're asked to do this, how well uh, you right. as an individual or, will respond. Or how well your skills will be when, in fact, right. it's time to yeah, respond. But you, you, uh, if you don't exercise your driving skills, uh, you'll be rusty when uh, right. these things happen. But there's a longer-term problem as well, uh, uh, and that's got to do with evacuations. So uh, the built environment, uh, right now we have uh, uh, such poor community resilience to hazards such as hurricanes and uh, 
that we are counting on evacuation to uh, solve our problems for us. Uh, evacuation means one thing in today's environment when we're all in control of our car. Mm -hmm. And we, if we decide to ride out a storm, uh, we do that. But our autonomous vehicles in an evacuation circumstance might be under the control of a DOT or an emergency manager, uh, some sort of larger uh, structure, in, a structure in order to get the flow of traffic out of a city uh, moving efficiently instead of some other way. So uh, that top-down command and control might extend to when you could leave your house. Uh, the top-down command and control is going to be interested in things like, well, uh, we don't have as many cars as we used to. Yeah, perfect point. Uh, the whole idea is that we've got our cars sitting around idle 95% of the time, so we don't need mm -hmm. as many as we've got. That's going to relieve congestion in the city. But if everybody has to leave at the same time, what do you do? And your car might have instructions, uh, the central instructions might include, well, uh, you're not only not going to go to Home Depot and pick up plywood, you're going to leave. And not only are you going to leave, you're not going to drive to your cousin 500 miles away. You're going to drive to the nearest shelter, which is 100 miles away. And you're going to be asked to pick up two other people. Uh, one of whom is an elderly person who has no ride and may need medical help while you're on this journey. And another one might have fantasies about robbing everybody in the vehicle while they're uh, uh, going. And, and an interesting we, proposition. And, and the social science of all this, you know, how large populations are going to make these decisions is yeah. really unknown territory for all of us. And this problem is going to come along in a time, sh however slow the arrival of the autonomous vehicle is, it's going to occur more rapidly than we get the building stock out of floodplains mm -hmm. and uh, right. build uh, buildings tough enough to withstand windstorms and so on. So there's no end to the social science challenges that face uh, uh, transportation uh, managers right. in the years ahead. It, you know, it's, it's going to be, uh, it'll be a big shock. I mean, Right now, the automobile means independence. Right. But when it, you know, when you don't have that independence because right. the car is telling you where you're right. going to go. Yeah, uh, and you'll have that independence again, a hundred days out of a hundred and one. But that hundred and first day, right? Uh, it may well be that for the larger good of the community, somebody else will be uh, making decisions about your vehicle. Interesting, and that's it's a very interesting thing. Um, you know, we did, we spend an awful lot of time about, you know, in, in our world talking about connected vehicles. And right. in fact, I just came from a meeting where it was all about, you know, using mobile data and probe data yeah. to make decisions and, and that sort of thing. It's, it's just become, the car has just become such a integral part of our life. It's just like a phone these days, you know, you just can't see yourself being without it. But as a, as a transportation agency, I, you know, we need to, to be thinking about those kinds of things and, and how they interact. You know, one thing I did want to bring up when we're yes. talking about this whole, you know, conveyance of risk, if yeah. you will, oh, yeah. it, it seems like the, um, the uh, plow cams, mm. you know, in, in Iowa and a bunch yeah. of other states, you know, where they're just taking a, a, a photograph out the front, right. out the windscreen of the yeah. snowplow, you know, every five minutes, 
it seems like that does such a much better job of conveying right. what things look like than than words do. Um, oh, I couldn't agree more. That's just um, has so much of an impact on all of us. So uh, the trust factor is a hundred percent in something like that. The picture doesn't lie. You see the plow. You see the great uh, plume of uh, snow being thrown yep. in different directions and. It brings home, okay, that's what's out there. No, that's, yeah, and, yeah, and I think, you know, when because when you're looking at that, you can say, oh, well, yeah, I can drive in that. That's, yeah. look, you can still see black pavement in places uh, versus, <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh, you know, it's those poor plow drivers. Uh, I wouldn't want anybody to be out there, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess the, uh, the big takeaway here is, you know, it's not all about the science, the hard the science, physical science, the physical science is yeah. not about the physical science. And uh, I think in the future, we should uh, maybe spend a little more energy thinking about uh, our customer, so right. to speak. The psychology and the way the human brain works and thinking fast and slow. And then the, uh, the sociology of large numbers of human beings or clusters of human beings and their reactions to each other uh, near and far. So every dimension, the economics of it, uh, every dimension of social science comes into play. And it's yep. much bigger, much tougher job. It's, it, it might be called the soft science, and we might call physics or meteorology the hard science, but the difficult science is the social science. Yeah, indeed it is. Right. And, and I think the, um, you know, one of the takeaways from the report was we ought to get those folks involved on the front end of our work as opposed to as an afterthought. Right. Uh, that's so important. You know, we can't just uh, develop some uh, new messaging technique or something and say, what do you think? We need to bring uh, the experts in uh, at the very beginning. And we need to have the funding for that to keep them from going into other forms of risk communication, like health risks associated with smoking or obesity or something. These are all major problems, but we need some fraction of the social scientists uh, supported, given the funding and the resources needed to tackle these transportation problems. And, and like you said at the very beginning, you know, when you talk about the number of fatalities and injuries, uh, you know, this is, this is really important stuff. It's, they it's not an dwarf the fatalities and injuries from any other uh, source. Uh, when you and I are at home, we're just far safer than when we're uh, making decisions and in a context where other people are making decisions all around us. Yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. Well, I, uh, I want to thank you again, Bill, for oh, sitting Rick. down with Psychop Talks Winter Ops and, and visiting about uh, this difficult topic. The thanks are the other way. Uh, this has been a fun half hour. It's the high, high spot of my week. So thanks. <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right, Bill. Bye. And thanks to everyone for listening to Psychop Talks Winter Ops.